Please turn in your Bibles to James chapter 1. You know I love the book of James. Very, very practical book about righteousness. Practical. James chapter 1. Really neat to see Jared here. Thanks, Jared, for coming along. Uh, really adds something to the music. Adds something too with, with Sam pulling out the big guns with the electric guitar. I just love the music this morning. Thanks, guys, for doing that. James chapter 1. We're going to start reading at verse 19 and go through to verse 21. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, And receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Let's pray together. Father, we are in awe of you. We do bow before you. As people who have been washed by your precious blood, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, that has saved us for good works. And Father, as we look at this passage together today, let us do it with bowed hearts. Let us do it with hearts that are wide open to what your word has to say to us. Father, change us. We would love if when people look at our lives, they could see Jesus Christ. We would love it if people could see our good works and glorify you and have no excuse to carry on in their sin because of the work that you've done in our lives. Make us righteous, Lord, not just righteous before you through justification, but righteous as we live here on this planet that you may be glorified. Father, work in us, we pray, this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. James chapter 1. Before we... Oh, I'm going to stop. Welcome back, Jeremy. (laughs) Really nice to have Jeremy back uh, this morning. Before we get going at this very well-known passage, we need to actually make an interpretational decision. As we look at it, some very good scholars consider that the whole passage is related to how we receive the word of God, how we receive the word of God. And this, yeah, you know, you can see this in some ways because this passage is actually the launching pad, the launching pad that James uses to come to his famous uh, talk on being doers of the word. But it actually feels forced and unnatural to impose that on the whole passage, to impose it on the whole passage. It's preferable to see that James, as he does, is speaking of three essential qualities which are strongly rooted in the teaching of Old Testament literature, um, especially the Proverbs having to do with practical righteousness. And we're going to see that as we, as we go through Um, how clearly these things are spoken about in the Proverbs. Um, We we see him speak about hasty speech in this way in chapter 1, verse 26, and particularly in chapter 3, you'll remember. We also see him speaking about anger this way in chapter 4, where the believers are at each other's throats. And as always, James comes back to a right attitude to the word of God as the door, door out of this, as the way out of this, a right attitude to the Word of God. And we're going to see that today. Um, so as we look at this, we're going to see three essential qualities that must be growing in the believer's life. 
And that is to be people who are quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. At our Bible college in, in Monado, we have uh, our fourth year students every year. They will learn the principles of how to learn another language and culture. And then they will go away on what's called their practicum and go to a, a remote people group and practice their language learning skills. It's, it's quite an amazing thing to watch where they learn just to, to look at the smallest parts of language and allow that to grow and grow and grow until they start to learn more. They, they're only there for nine weeks so they don't become fluent, um, but it's a neat time for them to actually go and, and share the love of Christ amongst the people where they go um, as they're there, and we trust that our students are growing mature by that time. But a, a, a number of years ago, uh, something very difficult happened where uh, the staff took them in there, stayed with them for a few weeks, came back out, and then stayed in contact by phone with them. And at one point, one of the staff members was talking to one of the students. It was about something, you know, insignificant like timesheets or something like that. And the phone conversation suddenly turned sour. Suddenly turned sour. Uh, the student suddenly becomes very angry with this staff member. And he finishes the conversation. And then he starts telling the students why he's angry. The other students... Um, and they talk about it over and over and over to the point where I get a, I get a text message saying we're coming home. And I'm like, what? <laughs> you can't come home. You're on a, you're on a practicum. Well, the college tells them we, we come together as staff and we send a message to them. Please stay put. We're sending someone there to see what's going on and try and help them. Well, the staff member they sent there, here's this terrible story about what had offended this, this student. And he gets swayed too, and he's angry. And so he comes home back and, and starts to talk to us about, about that issue. So we, we start to talk to the students and say, please stay. Please stay where you are, finish your practicum, get it done. Uh, they did, but unfortunately they kept talking and talking and talking and talking about the issue to the point that, where the offended party said, I'm finished. No ministry, I'm, I'm leaving the course. They had nine weeks to go on a four-year course. And he says, I'm done. I'm gone. Well, what they didn't know was this particular staff member in that, in that class, you all have little voice recorders. And he was in the habit of recording his own conversations. You couldn't record what the other person was saying, but he would just pop it in his pocket so that he could, he could go back and go through and make sure he didn't forget to do anything he said he was going to do. So he recorded the conversation. The students came back and they had this big meeting in one of the staff houses where they really let this staff member know how much he disappointed them. Interesting, because they, he then played the recording. He then played the recording and this offended student sat there and listened to the fact that he had misheard and misunderstood. Misheard and misunderstood what this guy had said. Can you imagine what that did to his heart? They were furious for nine weeks. Their practicum was almost entirely wasted because they couldn't concentrate. One of them almost went home and threw away the idea of future ministry. For nine weeks, they attacked an innocent man, attacked and attacked and attacked with this false report. And it spread from the first guy to the classmates, to the staff, further abroad too, to his, to his home area. 
this man's failure to listen and his decision to vent his anger through his words affected everyone concerned spiritually because their minds were consumed with anger, with offense, with a sense of injustice. And our hope, like I said, was that they were going to shine Christ's light. But if, you're, if your heart is overcome with anger, you're not shining anything of Christ, anything of his. It was a disaster. And this whole thing erupted because they were slow to listen, quick to speak, quick to become angry. And we're going to see in our passage today that the Lord says that is unrighteous. That is unrighteous. And this is, this is very, very important. Just a few th- quick things to clarify before we jump into these three essential qualities. First of all, there's no conjunction. There's no conjunction starting verse 19. Uh, it seems that it's only in the New King James or the King James. So that's a, a textual issue. The, James is beginning a new topic, a new topic here. Secondly, the command, no, this is very interesting. It's a perfect tense command, a perfect tense command. This is the only place I've ever seen one of those. Matt might have stumbled across one somewhere, but I've never seen a a perfect tense command before. This is often the case with, uh, with the word no, no this here. The idea is that it's something that affects you. Knowledge that affects you. We might say, get it through your skull. What does that mean? I want you to realize this so that you can change. I want you to realize this so that it affects your life. Get it through your skull. Know this. The next thing to to clarify here is who he's talking to. And this is cool. He doesn't say, you worthless pagans. He doesn't say, you immature Christians. He says, my beloved brothers. My beloved brothers. He's talking to Christians, right? This is a common struggle. This is a common struggle that we face. What does he say about the man in in chapter 3 who can perfectly control his tongue? He's perfect, right? What's that code for? He doesn't exist. (laughs) He doesn't exist. A person who can perfectly control his tongue. So I want to encourage you, my dear brothers and sisters, to look at you. Look at you. It's easy to think of someone else. But but let his word affect you in this area. This is a common struggle. Uh, The last clarification that I want to make here is the verb be here, as in let every person be. Um, It's a present tense command, which means the idea is growth. The idea is a process, a growing change that happens. And this command is attached to each of those three um, essential qualities here. A command that drives us to grow. So don't give up. Don't give up in this area. Don't become self-satisfied in this area. Don't make easy choices in this area. God wants you to grow. God wants you to change. And we're going to look at more of that as we go further on. Well, let's look at our first quality. And that quality is that we be quick to hear. Or quicker and quicker to hear. I need to qualify this by saying that that doesn't mean we open our ears to everything. That doesn't mean that we open our ears to everything. We reject gossip and slander. We reject filthy language and coarse joking. We reject godless opinions that rob us of our faith and our confidence in God and his word. This is, this is already something that's clear, but I need to say it. What this command is saying is that before we react... 
before we open our mouths, we need to seek to understand. Seek to understand, work to understand. The Proverbs apply, apply this pretty broadly. Let's look at a few of them. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just shoot them off. The great thing with Proverbs is you can't take them out of context because usually they don't have a context. They're just pithy little sayings. So I'll shoot them off and we can get you a printed copy of this or shoot you an email if you want to look them up yourselves later. The first one is Proverbs 18, 18, 13. This is speaking of being quick to hear. If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. Have you ever been in a situation where you're trying to bring an issue to someone and they're not with you? Their mind's somewhere else. They're not really engaging. And you keep trying to get it through to them, but all they want to do is kind of get you out of their face. Get it done with. Feels good, doesn't it? Do you do that to others? I certainly have. I certainly have. We need to make an effort to truly listen, to truly understand, to ask questions so that we fully understand. This is love. This is love. The opposite of which is called folly and shame. Folly and shame. If we go down a few verses in, in Proverbs 18 to 18.17, we see this. The one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. This is another uh, area where we need to look at being quick to listen, longing to understand. And this is exact, the exact example uh, that we looked at with our students earlier. What would have happened if they had said, hey, I can't hear this now, I need to hear from the other side. What would have happened? Nine weeks of blessing would have happened. But because they chose to react and they didn't listen to the other side, nine weeks of fall, nine weeks of stain, nine weeks of sin happened because they didn't listen. This is crucial. You need to listen to both sides of any issue and between people there are always two sides. This is also true of an accusation against an elder, and Paul makes that clear to Timothy in chapter 5 of the first letter there, that we mustn't accept, it's a strong command there, mustn't accept an accusation as true against an elder unless two or three eyewitnesses speak of that thing. Before we act, we need to listen. Another aspect of this being quick to listen is a, a very helpful one to us in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. A wise man listens to advice. We need to be careful to listen to input, careful to listen to advice, even to seek it out. And if we do, then we're wise. But if we consider ourselves already wise so that we don't want to hear, we're hard to give input to, we're hard to give advice to, we're hard to correct. Well, the Bible calls us a fool. The Bible calls us a fool. And I've known many fools, unfortunately. And often they're the only person in the world that considers them wise. I'm sorry to say that. And they don't see the pain in the people's eyes who love them 
and seek to give them input and direction and yet they throw it all back in their face over and over and over again and they usually end up in a mess and they go, what happened? You're a fool because you didn't listen. Listening takes time and it takes effort and it takes love and it takes humility. When I'm not listening, it usually means I'm prioritizing something else. I won't ask for a show of hands. <laughs> it might be a deadline. It might be a struggle. It can be anything. It often shows that I don't value the person that's talking to me because I see them as a problem to be dealt with rather than a soul to love and to minister to. It often means that I'm too quick to think I understand so I don't ask follow-up questions or I assume I know. Often it means I'm holding too strongly to my own opinions too strongly to my own opinions. So while they're talking, what are you doing? I'm thinking about what I'm going to say. I'm not thinking about what they're saying. I might be defensive. I won't ask for a show of hands. <laughs> that means I can't listen because I'm scared that what you're saying is going to hurt me and I'm defensive, defensive, defensive. I can't hear it. Well, again, I'm not listening. I might have bitterness in my heart and that means I don't care what you have to say. You hurt me. And I can't listen. Self-pity stops me from listening to others. Oh, you think you've got a problem. You know, when, when someone or even yourself, just someone talks to you and all you can think about is how small their problem is compared to yours. You're not listening. And in relation to hearing both sides of the story, maybe I have a heart that loves to judge other people. A heart that loves to feel bad about someone else so that I can feel better about myself. I'm not listening. I don't, I don't care about the other side. It makes me feel good to feel bad about someone. You can think of any number of reasons. And I'm sure you can think of some of your own. The actual is, the, 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 the key point here for us is that God is telling us to learn to listen. Learn to listen. So let's grow in that. The next quality we hear uh, we see here is to be slow to speak. Slow to speak. As we saw earlier, this is a command talking, talking about us getting better and better at this. Growing slower and slower to speak. And it ties in beautifully with the proverb that we looked at before. The folly of speaking before one listens. Now, there are many more that speak about this problem. Let's reel a few off. Uh, Proverbs 10.19 says, When words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Proverbs 13.3 Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who open wides his lips comes to ruin. Proverbs 17.27 Whoever restrains his words has knowledge. And he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. It sounds like slow to anger, right? Interesting. My personal favorite is uh, Proverbs 17, 28. I'm not sure if you've memorized it. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. That's very comforting to me. <laughs> yeah, that, the hard thing about speech is that we have to use it. We have to use it. And I find it's when I'm in the middle of using it that something stupid will come out or something hurtful will come out or something easily misunderstood will come out. 
we need to use our mouths to build the body of Christ. To praise our God. To proclaim Christ. To teach the word. To build each other up in the faith. To speak the truth in love. To stir one another up towards love and good deeds. To rebuke a sinner. To raise our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We need to use our mouths. So lots of good things. But the problem comes along with the scariest verse. In Luke 6 verse 45 it says this. And again you've probably memorized this one. The good person out of the good treasure in his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Don't you want to run from your words sometimes and say, I didn't mean it, that's really not what's in my head, that's not in my heart? Well, you can't run from your words. You can't. They belong to you. They belong to your heart. When your heart is given over to sin, your words stumble people. When your heart is proud, you boast about yourself and belittle others. When your heart is given to doubt, your words will infect the faith of others. When your heart condemns you, often your words condemn others. When your heart is given over to bitterness, your bitter words embitter other people. We could add others, but it's important that we get this picture. We recognize this truth. Your words have incredible power, incredible power to lift someone up, to, to make the body of Christ more beautiful. But they have incredible power to do the complete opposite of that, to stain other people, to hurt other people, and to hurt his body. And the telling part is where that source is, and it's right here within each one of us. We're going to look at that heart later as we come to receiving the word. The third essential quality that we, we need to look at here is being slow to anger. Slow to anger, something we need to grow in. And there are a lot of proverbs that talk about this, and most of them use the exact language of James. The exact language of James. Proverbs 14.17 says a man of quick temper, what's that the, that the opposite of? Slow to anger, right? A man of quick temper acts foolishly, and a man of evil devices is hated. Proverbs 14.29, whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Proverbs 15.18, a hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. Proverbs 16.32, whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. There's a beautiful one in chapter 19, verse 11. Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Verse 19 of the same chapter. A man of great wrath will pay the penalty, for if you do deliver him, you will only have to do it again. The word anger here is orge. In the Greek, you've probably heard of it before, speaking of God's anger. It speaks of abiding anger. It's not the flare of anger. 
It's abiding anger that repays. Abiding anger that repays. And when it talks of humans, it speaks of a simmering anger within us that seeks to strike, that seeks to pay back, that seeks to hurt somebody. Don't assume here that this is talking about physical abuse. It is certainly talking about that. But as believers, we're often more subtle. Disciplining your kids in anger is abuse. It's just abuse. You do not pay your kids back. Their sin is paid for as they confess it and bring it to Christ. You do not pay them back. You are seeking to change their heart. That's why we call it discipline. It's not revenge. Intimidating your family with anger. Words and demeanor. Hurting people with your words. Those are barbed words that come out towards people. That's anger. Hurting people with the cold shoulder. We're subtle, aren't we? Where you don't quite smile. Hurting people by refusing to say that you forgive them when they come to you and ask for forgiveness. Just refusing to say you forgive them. Hurting people's reputations. Simmering anger that bites. Simmering anger that hurts. Simmering anger that strikes, even in subtle ways. This is anger, my brothers and sisters. This is anger. What's interesting about this, as I mentioned, is it's often used of, of God's anger. And that anger is not light. It is not light. He promises to judge every person that persists in rejecting him with everlasting torment in hell. But don't compare your anger to God's. There is a vast, vast difference between your anger and God's anger. He is the perfect, all-knowing creator of the universe. And he will, there will never be an instance where his anger is unjust or unfair or too hasty. His anger is always perfect and just. What about you? Perfect and just? You know, most often our anger brings about sin and hurt. And that's all it does. And we try to justify it and we try to blame others or situations. But most often we're just deluding ourselves to make ourselves feel better. That's why the word of God gives so little room for anger, even righteous anger. In Colossians 3, if you want to turn there, Colossians 3, 7 and 8. Listen to what it says about anger there. Colossians 3, verses 7 and 8. We'll just look at a couple of cross-references here. Speaking of their past life and their sin, he says, in these, two, uh, in these you two once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, orge, wrath, Themos, which is the other word that's often used for anger, anger, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. There's no room. There's no room. Put them all away. But interestingly, our verse speaks of being slow to simmer with anger. Slow. As though there's a little keyhole, a little odd occasion where there might be a possibility that there would be righteous anger. 
this is what we probably see in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, if you want to look at that, verses 26 and 27. Very important we understand this. This little keyhole for the possibility of righteous anger. This verse here in Ephesians 4 is based in Psalm 4.4, and that's exactly what it's talking about there, the possibility of righteous anger. It says there, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. It looks like a command, but it's probably just permission. Permission here when it's righteous anger. But but look at how many limitations are placed on it. Look at the limitations here. Firstly, it's not to lead you into sin. If there is righteous anger, it is not to lead you into sin. And that's all the things that we just mentioned. It is not to go beyond a day. Not to go beyond a day. And it is not allowed, not to be allowed to fester so that the devil can use it to do harm to our souls or to the Lord's people. In human hearts, even righteous anger is dangerous. A dangerous thing. We are told in verse 20 of our passage that human anger does not bring about the righteousness that God requires, that he commands. And that's not talking about righteousness in terms of justification because only, only faith gets that. Typically of James, it's talking about God-pleasing behavior. You will not please God through your anger. You won't do it. It's unrighteous. So the obvious question comes, when can I be angry? Slowly. When can I be angry? Well, first of all, when we see injustice, we act like God when our heart boils within us to see injustice. But if I sin, that's unrighteous. If I seek to bring about justice through sinful means, if I allow that anger to drive me to sin, I'm wrong. When we see a person sinned against, anger rises, sometimes justly, but it's never permission for us to repay. That's forbidden. It's forbidden that we repay. But what about when someone sins against us? Hmm. Let's look at a few biblical examples. Let's look at Joseph. Just slowly turn over to Genesis 50. As you're doing that with your free hand, raise your hand if you've ever been sold into slavery by your brothers. Not a hand. (laughs) What about jailed for something you didn't do? I thought I might get a hand there, but no, nothing. Hmm. He, He went through the most horrific, horrific experience, Joseph, purely because of the sin of others, purely because of the sin of others. And in chapter 50, we start at verse 18, his brothers are not coming repentantly to him. His brothers are scared that he's going to kill them because Jacob's dead. They're scared that Joseph is going to kill them, and boy, he could have. It says in verse 18, his brothers came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in place of God? As for you, this is so cool, you meant evil against me. There's no denying it. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good 
to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Doesn't it make a difference when you understand God's, understand God's loving sovereignty? His loving sovereignty. Or how about Stephen? You know about Stephen. Hands up if you've been killed for your faith. <laughs> nope, okay, that's good. That's good, I've encouraged, no one's deluded. Um, interesting, isn't it? I'll just read this to you from Acts chapter 7, 59 and 60. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Picture what he saw. Picture what he saw. Hateful, murderous, unapologetic faces all around him. That's what he saw. And as they crushed his head with rocks, he wants them forgiven. All he can think about is love. That's powerful, isn't it? No anger. He didn't wait for an apology. Next example. How about Jesus? I'm not going to compare you to him. He never did a single wrong thing, never. And yet his trial was appallingly unjust. And even his friends walked away from him. And you know what he said. Father, forgive them, for they, don't, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. When I see these three examples, you know what I think? How petty my own anger is. How petty my own anger is. Often it's just angry about things that don't matter. It's angry because I don't get what I want. Really? It's angry because someone doesn't show me respect that I think I deserve. Really? It's angry because someone sins. I thought I was the chief of sinners. It's angry because someone got their license out of a Weetbix box. Don't ask my family about that one, please. <laughs> really? Angry about that? What, get, what gets your goat? Thinking about those examples beforehand, do I need someone else to ask my forgiveness before I can let it go? Do I need that? We didn't see it from Joseph. We didn't see it from Stephen. We certainly didn't see it from Jesus when he prayed. Yes, we need that for fellowship to be truly restored. We do need that. And that's something that we should do for each other. But I don't need that so that I can love someone. Because the Bible tells me to love my enemies, right? I can still love them. I don't need that to let it go. Because it's a glory to let go an offense to overlook it. One of the most striking things I've ever seen on TV happened when I was in Australia years ago, back in the probably mid to late 90s. You guys heard of the Port Arthur Massacre there? Yeah, we were there at the time. It was horrific. A madman uh, killed 35 people at a tourist place, injured 23. But what struck me was on TV one night when the son of a Salvation Army officer who was killed came on TV. 
This guy was a guy who given his life to the Lord and he'd been murdered by this, this madman. And this, his son came on TV and in tears he said to Martin Bryant, the guy who did it, the nutcase who did it, he said to him, my father would have loved you and I want you to know that I love you too. Striking, eh? Why is it striking? It's because it's Christian love. It's Christian love. Martin Bryant would never ask this man's forgiveness, but he could let it go. But he could love. Are you different from others? Are you different from others? Or are you just the same as everybody else when it comes to this issue? When we're the same as everybody else, we're not like Christ. We're not like him. He has a high standard for us, and it's his standard. But you know, the blessing is God doesn't leave us alone in getting to that standard. And let's look at the means that he provides in verse 21 of chapter 1 of James here. Receiving the word is our means. James 1 verse 21 says, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Uh, The word put away here is actually not a command. The command is receive. Putting away here is actually the way that we receive the word. The attitude with which we receive the word is to receive it an attitude of saying, I want to put away my sin. I want to put away my sin. Very important. If the Lord is on your case this morning about your sin, don't just listen and think I'm learning something new. Don't just listen and be impressed. Please don't be impressed. Listen and say, God, I want to open my heart to your word. God, I want to change. God, I want to throw off my sin. Let your word attack me. Let it take me apart because I want to change. This is the attitude that he's asking of us this morning, commanding of us. The way we receive our word is repentantly. Repentantly. That's why here he also says, uh, receiving it with meekness. Humbling ourselves before God's authority as we receive the word, longing to obey it. This is important. One uh, other aspect um, of this, I should say that this is speaking of throwing it off, throwing off our sin, knowing that it's something that belongs to our past life. One other aspect that's important as we do this is seeing it for what it is, seeing it for what it is, calling it what it is. This is interesting. Notice with me here that he speaks of this not listening with care or hurting people with our words, not allowing ourselves to become angry. These things, if we sin in those areas, it's grouped together with all other sin and it's called filthiness and rampant wickedness. Filthiness and rampant wickedness. We like to think that they're small mistakes, but that is not how God sees them. That is not how God sees them. And this recognition of what it is actually is what we call confession. Recognition and agreeing with God's uh, accusation. Very important. Agreeing with God's accusation. When you're not agreeing with God's accusation, when you're not calling it what it is, 
Can I just say really clearly, you disagree with God. You disagree with God. You might want to think about that. Very important. The beautiful thing, as we see in in 1 John uh, 1, chapter 9, you have memorized that one, is that when we do agree with God, what happens? He forgives us. He forgives us our sin, but he promises to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Forgiveness is our guilt before him. Cleansing is is our guilt within us. Cleansing is that stain within us that he promises to cleanse, that he promises to clean away as we agree with him. This is how we deal with our hearts. The source of our words is to come to him and agree and agree and agree and seek his forgiveness and seek to walk away from it and seek to receive his word. And in that process, we learn to hate our sin. We learn to hate it. We want to throw it off. And this is the process God uses that we can do that. And when we receive the word of God in that readiness, boy, it goes to work. It goes to work in our lives. We would usually think of a non-Christian as someone receiving the word. But here it's very clear they're Christians, right? His beloved brothers. And we see also in the verse that 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 word is already implanted. So it's already within them. So what's meant here is that we welcome the work of the word in our lives. We welcome it. Lord, I want your word to shape me. I want it to change me. Show me my sin so I can throw it off. We welcome it. Another aspect that can be confusing here is the words, which is able to save your souls, because they're saved, right? But of course it's talking about our present salvation. Our present salvation. We have been saved from the penalty of sin. We are presently being saved from the power of sin. And we will be saved from the presence of sin. Our present day salvation, we are being saved from the power of sin. And it's consistent that we are being conformed to the likeness of Jesus Christ, God's Son. This is the sense in which we work out our salvation with fear and trembling because God is at work within us. He's at work within us. Very important. And notice here that he wants to use his word to do that in our lives, to change us. It's his tool. So as I'm closing, let me give you some practical ways to set the word of God to work in your life, to welcome it, to say, I want it. The first one is when you open the word of God, read for change. Plead with God to change your life as you read it. Not just knowledge. Read that he may confront you and work in you. Pray that he would take you apart as you read it. Very important. The second one is that we meditate on it. Spend time meditating on passages that you don't like. Passages that you don't want to hear. The ones that confront your comfort. And just sin. What I like to do if I'm confronted by a passage is print it out and stick it on the wall. If you come to our house, you'll see Annie does that too in the little room and there's no escape. Um, They're right there. But passages that say to you, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. Very, very important. That is how we bow before God's authority. 
and welcome his word. Next here is to memorize verses that confront your sin. Very clear, we know the memory verse in Psalm 119, 11. I've hidden your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. This is how we do it. As a young man, memorizing Romans 6 was crucial to me as I fought the young man's fight, or every man's fight, I guess. And as I would have temptations come up in my mind to say, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? And it's like a bucket of cold water got poured over my heart. So, so important. Memorize scripture and God will cleanse you as you confess your sin. The next one is to be sensitive to the tendency of thinking of other people's sin while you're reading scripture. You know, sometimes that's helpful when you're helping someone with an issue. But please remember that the way of the hypocrite is to deflect blame, is to think of someone else's sin. One of the hardest things I find as I'm preparing sermons is how much the word tears at my heart. And I can't deflect it. I mustn't deflect it. Because God always wants his word to change us. And just lastly, this is, a, this is an important one, so stay with me. Resist the urge to harbor bitterness against your pastor. What? <laughs> Let me explain. If he's doing his job, and he is, he will offend you. He will say things that are very uncomfortable to you. And he will attack the things that are closest to the idols of your heart. And you know what your heart will want to say? Well, he's not so crash hot. <laughs> and you know what that will do? That, that will just deflect the guilt. Deflect what God wants to do in your heart. You know, if you want to attack your pastor, he's, his feet are made of the same clay as yours are, except it's red Australian clay. <laughs> <laughs> You, you could find things if you want. What are you doing, though? What are you doing? You're deflecting God's word. He's, he's a mouthpiece of God. And you're just deflecting God's word. And let me tell you, if you're deflecting God's word, you're de deflecting God himself and rejecting his authority. Please think about that. Please think about that. If you have held things in your heart that are doing that, let them go. Let them go. Honestly examine your heart in this. Well, we welcome his word because God wants to shape us. He wants us to become more and more like his son. Is that a good thing? It certainly is a good thing. And when we're like his son, you know what? You will be someone who loves to listen to people. You're willing to expend time and energy and love to understand people. If you're going to be like his son, you will have a changed heart. And it's going to be a heart that pours out good and holy and uplifting things through your mouth. And when you become like his son, anger will no longer characterize you and it won't spit out venom at the people around you. Let's pray together. Father, we are so thankful to be your beloved children. And Lord, as we hear your word this morning,
We delight that you saved us. We delight that we're yours. And Father, we want to work out with fear and trembling the things that you want to achieve in our lives through your word. Please, please do not let us just be listeners. Please, Father, don't let us just be hearers of your word. Confront us, change us, rock us, work in us, Lord. We want you to be glorified in our lives individually. We want you to be glorified in our church. We want you to be pleased with our hearts, Father. So please convict us. Lord, if there are people here today who are not convicted in this area, but continuing to sin in it, confront them, Father. If there are people here today who do not know you, Father, work in their hearts. Let them come to you for the beautiful forgiveness that you paid for fully through the death of your own beloved son. Let them come to you, Lord. And Father, for each of us, help us to fight the fight. Help us not to ignore it. Help us not to go with the flow. Help us to fight the fight, Father, that we may honor you to the glory of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.